0: We've been fighting a long time, and we've all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no
1: idea how important.
0: But uh, Steve says for Dylan coming back with our first guest of the podcast for the history of the podcast, our friend Jonathan Arrington and Jonathan. Welcome back. He just had a baby last night. Now he didn't have one. His wife had one. He was he was assisting. He got the assist for this. But uh, first, congratulations and welcome back, bud. Thank
1: you, thank you. Always great to hang out with a friend from South Carolina.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> the South will rise again in a, in a different way.
1: <laughs> That's
0: right. So Jonathan is a what you get a doc, you're, not, you're working on the doctorate, or you got the masters in patristics.
1: So I did all the doctoral studies at the Patristicum, the Augustiniano so, uh, School for study there patristics in Rome.
0: So the patristics patristics for him is like throwing a. Uh, Oh, a 2 0 fastball right down the middle, and it's like a meatball. <laughs> this is right in his wheelhouse. So, he came up with this idea of doing a study on the patristics. And so, we're hopefully would we'll get a series out of this. So, something about St. Irenaeus of Lyon is coming up soon. And he came up with this idea let's do one on St. Irenaeus right off the bat. So, Jonathan, can you tell us a little bit more about that and why him, and, and what do you want to talk about him?
1: Well, uh, why him? Part of it has got to be that uh, Pope Francis is going to name him a Doctor of the Church coming up very soon, from what he uh, had just announced. I think it was last week. Uh, but the I'd say probably even a more important reason is that uh, he's really the foundation of the study of patristics. I mean, it, it in some measure really starts with him. You know, the, there's the so-called uh, apostolic fathers. So you got the fathers that uh, some Part of the time overlapping their lives with St. John, you know, the latest of the apostles to die. So you got people like St. Ignatius of Antioch and St. Polycarp. Uh, So uh, right after that mark of St. Polycarp, the last one to really uh, spend some significant time with one of the apostles, St. Polycarp uh, also had the grace to spend some time with St. Irenaeus or vice versa. So you could say uh, the post apostolic age really begins with St. Irenaeus, so it's, you know, then you're finally dealing with uh, the, the seriousness of tradition, you know, are we passing on exactly what the apostles uh, are passed, or, or passed on, which they receive from the Lord, so uh, yeah, it, it really becomes uh, a serious thing with St. Irenaeus, and, and he recognizes that, so he he's kind of one of the, the first ones to distinguish between uh, scripture, tradition, and magisterium in the general sense, that is the teaching of the the bishops in union with the, the bishop of Rome uh as the authentic um, well he called it the, the 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 canon or rule of faith you know uh so that he's he's kind of a a, a mark from the passing over from the apostolic age to the, the rest of the patristic era and I guess you could say the rest of church history. So he's really important.
0: So what do we want to do is kind of give like a 101 lesson about uh, I'm, I'm sure you don't want to get to the an eight-hour dis, uh, discussion about St. Iron Nation. You could probably do it. In, you could probably do it. I, w- I won't put it past you. But uh, if anybody don't know him, uh, Jonathan is just a wealth of info. If you have him in his class, you're lucky to have him for your teacher. So uh, thank him for this. I'll leave him underneath in the show notes you need to contact him for any information. So let's, Jonathan, the floor is yours, sir.
1: Okay, yeah, I guess the, the big thing with St. Irenaeus is that uh, he's known for having fought the Gnostics in the early church, right? So they are a a sect. Of what, in fact, St. Irenaeus is one of the first ones to really uh, codify the term heresy and uh, heresy art, so those who start heresies, and the Gnostics did it basically uh, and, and set a form for all heretics a- after their day by saying that there's this bit of, you know, knowledge that, you have to hang out with us to perceive and to get, right? And, uh, but clearly distinct from the Catholic church, which opens up her, her wealth of knowledge on salvation to, to anybody and everybody, uh, regardless of their, you know, former preparation, whatever they had done uh, before that point in their lives. And you could even say, no matter what their their willingness to embark on a, a life of, of penance and, and, you know, early church pretty serious about fasting, so no matter how, you know, penitential you were or something like that, how hard you set the bar for yourself, uh, you know, Catholic Church is just willing to take you in. We'll take in, you know, uh, all sinners and do what we can with them. We'll take them where they are and try to make saints out of them. But the Gnostics, you know, uh, were just like a lot of the other heretics throughout history and uh, set the bar where they thought it should be set and then didn't let anybody else in, you know, into their kind of uh, clique, you could say. So St. Irenaeus uh, calls him out on that early on. But his biggest thing is just showing kind of the internal contradictions of their um, their, their particular theology, right? And that, that's basically been the work of every Catholic apologist since St. Irenaeus is to say, all right, you guys say that you have something that the Catholic Church does not have and does not offer to the general mass of the faithful. Tell us a little bit more about it or, you know, let's, let's take what you said about it and let's examine it. And so he does it, you know, with the same kind of fine tooth comb that St. Thomas Aquinas and others will do, St. Robert Bellarmine will do later on. And he just, he finds the internal contradictions, you could say kind of the uh, cognitive dissonance, you know, between what they're even uh, saying and doing, you know. And um, that that's his big thing. And it's kind of providential, too, that uh, Pope Francis would want to name him a doctor of the church because Saint Irenaeus, uh Kind of got a bad rap over the last, uh, what would we say, maybe 40, 50 years, because um, not too long ago, uh, the Gospel of Thomas, the, uh, the, the fullest version we have of it, pretty much complete version, of Gospel of Thomas, and a few other Gnostic uh, texts were found you know, buried somewhere up in northern Egypt. And a lot of religious scholars, especially like the Ivy League uh, religious scholars, quote unquote, I uh, wanted to make a big deal out of it and, and say that, you know, these people have been maligned before and we just, we weren't giving them a, a chance. But I mean, come to find out St. Irenaeus, I mean, uh, like, like St. Thomas Aquinas, he laid out their arguments better than they did. It seems like, Uh, and was, you could say he was charitable with them about uh, what they were saying and trying to give them uh, some benefits of the doubt, but he, he just pointed out something that's been the case with almost every single heretical group too, is that they, uh, 9 times out of 10 they end up setting this this really high bar in regard to uh continency and, and and sexual relationships and 99 times out of 100 maybe even they end up not only uh not uh following up with what they demand of others especially their their higher ups but I mean not going along with the, the 10 commandments just in general like six and the ninth commandments cuz he just he brought that up but uh you could count on the um, authoritative religious scholars at the Ivy League schools to, to not take too kindly to that, so they didn't like there's this. Um, there, there's a famous female scholar, uh, kind of feminist theologian, I think is what she probably called herself, who just, I mean, what, going into Saint Irenaeus like there's there's no tomorrow, um, and you know, saying that he was just too hard on a Gnostic, so on and so forth, and just basically used him as a, a punching bag, you know, of sorts. But, um, I mean, it turns out most most people kind of after the fact, after this um, this uh, attack on St. Irenaeus, they, they start reading through these documents at Nag Hammadi is what it's called, Nag Hammadi up in uh, uh, northern Egypt. They, they start looking through the stuff and think, you know what? I mean, it seems like St. Irenaeus did kind of, he he gave him a, a fair shot, you know, and this Dr. Pagels from uh, from Harvard or Princeton. I can't she either went to Harvard and taught at Princeton or vice versa. Um, that she she was actually, you know, uh took aim at St. Irenaeus without without reason. So that that's kind of the, the backdrop is that St. Irenaeus has had um some folks coming after him hard and heavy, uh, ever since that, that discovery of the uh, Nag Hammadi Gnostic documents up in uh in um northern Egypt. And Nevertheless, I mean, people are coming to see that he was he was pretty faithful about passing on what they had said and has, um, has stood the test of time in that regard. But the biggest thing is that he he gives us the first cohesive theology of so many things. I mean, he's everybody's heard of the comparison between our Lord as the new Adam, right? Our Lady as the new Eve. That's in Irenaeus. Right. So, I mean, besides just the whole uh, scripture tradition and then magisterium or teaching of the success of the apostles as the, uh, the proximate, you know, or immediate and then remote rules of faith, as they're called, uh, you got him giving us the, the first sense of like how to make sense out of the Old Testament together with the new. Right. It's this idea of the New Testament being, uh, you could say, buried in the old, right. And that the Old Testament is just revealed in the new. This is all St. Irenaeus. He says it, you know, uh, pretty quickly and and, in simpler form, maybe than some later authors would. But uh, a lot of these later authors admit, I got this from St. Irenaeus, you know, in his uh, "Adversus heresies. So uh, that's that's kind of the the main part of, of why he's so important.
0: Wasn't he one of the first ones to write the popes in order?
1: So he, that's right, he did start uh, talking about the the different popes, what they had done, stuff like that, and um, a a lot of what we have from his uh, interactions with the popes and his listing of the popes comes to us kind of indirectly because it comes through Eusebius of Caesarea, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. He's the one that that, that talks about uh, the the lineage of the popes, and in fact, that's a good point because uh, uh, Eusebius... You know his ecclesiastical history. He talks about how you know uh, Saint Irenaeus got to be named bishop of uh, of Lyon, you know, basically modern day Lyon, uh, by t- taking a letter to put the Pope. You might be thinking like, why does somebody travel all the way from ancient Gaul? You know, it's it's not a, an easy trip. Uh, so why why is he sent there as as a, still as a priest to go kind of present papers to the Bishop of Rome? Well, because the Bishop of Rome had a, a central role in the governance of the entire church. And so that's why then uh, some years after he's uh, named bishop there in Lyon, by the then-pope, he's going to write to Pope Victor and and talk about uh, kind of a big liturgical uh, controversy of his day, uh, basically folks kind of celebrating Easter on different days. I and mean, it's called the quart, uh, Quartodeciman controversy, or basically whether or not to celebrate Easter always on the 14th day of Nisan uh, not the car, you know, but <laughs> the uh, Hebrew month, and uh, but he's writing to the Pope about it, you know, and saying, that, I, "I beg you to, to go easy on them, to just settle this in a way that there's there's peace and that nobody's booted out too quickly from the communion with the Catholic Church." So Saint Irénée it, is making it clear, Pope, that the Pope of Rome, the Bishop of Rome, has the ability to say whether or not somebody's in communion with the Catholic Church, you know. I mean, it's just huge. Uh, it's so much that we count on as just uh, givens in Catholic theology. It's all there in, in St. Irenaeus. And without him, uh, this stuff would be on, you know, more tenuous ground. The, the historical uh, revisionism, people would just be all over it and, you know, uh, second-guessing stuff. But thanks to St. Irenaeus's works, it's just its there, in black and white, literally, and there's not much you can do to get away from it.
0: Was there you say you went after the Gnostics. Was there a different flavor of Gnosticism than his time versus, say, like St. John the Apostle? And what made him go after them like he did?
1: Uh, that's, that's a real good question. So, uh, and that's one of the things that these um, uh, modern-day Ivy League squ- scholars like to uh, contest. They like to say that uh, St. Saint- You you got these folks, especially after the time of St. Paul, they want to say, and after the time of St. John the Apostle, who um, made up a lot of stuff about the Gnostics, which is not true. And, I mean, incredibly, some of them are, these are really intelligent people, or, or, you know, at least you could say intellectually gifted, who've written about this. I mean, their their stuff was seen for kind of the, um, the, the forced argument that it was. So, more level headed scholars in patristics, even though, even though patristics has is, is kind of had a rough time of it as far as orthodoxy over the last 40 years or so, uh, they've they pretty much sided, I'd say the majority, with the, the view that St. Irenaeus is, is faithfully laying out what the Gnostics of his day believe. And it's, uh, I guess, the best way to put it is it's a, a more codified and, and, and solidified version of what they were already saying in the time of St. John the Apostle, and even in the time of St. Paul, right? So especially that Nagels that I was talking about earlier, pagel sorry. uh, She's big on saying, yeah, you've got uh, forgeries among St. Paul's letters because they wanted to go after the Gnostics in the, you know, 70s, 80s, and 90s AD, so well after St. Paul had had died, right? Um, But incredibly, I mean, because there's not a lot of uh, encouraging news, sometimes out of the orthodoxy of the patristic scholar of our day, but that's one of them, I think, is that they, they just said, yeah, they, I mean, we, we'd like to believe you, basically, um, but, yeah, it seems like St. Irenaeus is, is, is being pretty faithful here, uh, just in, in giving him a, a fair shot comparing what was discovered there in Upper Egypt, Nag Hammadi, and what he wrote. So, well, he seems to be pretty much on the ball here, and um, especially with the main point, that the Gnostics were – pretending to have a knowledge that you could only get through them and only through their certain ascetical practices, right? Um, and I guess you'd say that the big difference is they, they they kind of saw it as something that you could attain by your own efforts, you know? And so uh, this to me would be the, the biggest, um, how should I say, uh, the, the most Catholic thing about St. Irenaeus is he says, look, uh, what uh, authentic Catholic teachers had to pass on it's it's a gift it's something they've received from someone else it's not something they could grasp on their own right it's not something with, if i fast enough or if i do this or if i do that if i check off all these boxes then god's going to automatically give me this this sort of uh, higher level of knowledge no, it's just it, it's a gift and then revelation that was given to certain the apostles the gift to them and they were humble enough to recognize it receive it and then pass it on but it's not something you can you know a- attain or obtain by uh, just checking off the different ascetical practices that you, you know. St. Ignatius is big on on uh, ascetic practices, right? Uh, fasting and, and prayer. He uh, talks about it all the time. You just like That's not some sort of automatic. Uh, <laughs> thereafter, you're always going to get a certain level of gnosis or knowledge, you know. It's going to be uh, in demand by everybody.
0: Was it kind of like a spiritual works only idea? Uh, You you can say that,
1: yeah, yeah. And so that's why, you know, uh, some of the more poignant things in sacred scripture about the necessity of faith and then even obedience to the faith. You know, that famous term uh, from St. Paul, obedience to the faith. Uh, That's that's something that, you know, these scholars that want to say that these were later Pauline controversies and it didn't actually, the Gnostics weren't alive during the days of St. Paul or St. John. Uh, It's probably something that, that, eats it down, right? Uh, that um, obedience to the faith and actually faith itself uh, was was critical for the passing on of the faith from the very beginning. Uh, and I, I dare say I was just uh, talking with a friend about this. It's something that also comes up in, in such a great expositor or explainer of the faith like St. Robert Bellarmine I was talking to somebody about this just recently um, from our, our friend Ryan Grant's recent articles on St. Robert Bellarmine. It's, it's when you know you have a true doctor of the church is that humility, just to say, here's what the greats, or St. Irenaeus, obviously, it's mainly the apostles and, and St. Polycarp, but here's what the greats before me have said, this this is in line with the truth of what the church still teaches, so here's what I'm passing on to others. It's just that these are geniuses, St. Robert Bellman, St. Irenaeus, geniuses, brilliant, but they're humble enough to just say, uh, t- this comes from God. I, I'm not going to dare try to add or to or subtract from this, because this is, this is divine revelation, you know?
0: What are some... Uh, I know you, you probably have his quotes in the back of your head. What are some uh, things that he said that could be apt for today that he was saw, talking about back then? Um,
1: well, yeah. In fact, I was reading through just today some of his, uh, the fragments of his work. So, like some of the things that aren't in his main work called uh, Addresses Heresies or Against the Heresies. And it told oh, my word I was just underlining some great one liners. And uh, they're, they're all throughout there. You, you can find them if you look in, you know, the Patrologia Latina mm-hmm. or the Patrologia Greca. you got the two different patrology sets by mean the famous uh, French collator of all the patristic artists. His is in the Patrologia Greca, his Greek father. But uh, one of the ones I underlined for myself, having, you know, six kids to raise and, and make sure they get good stuff right off the bat, is that the lessons we learn as children are... Uh, more forcefully implanted on the soul and become almost one with the soul he's he's, he's um talking about this in one of his fragments there because talking about the influence that saint polycarp had on him as a child and that saint john had on saint polycarp as a child right so these these first impressions that children have become almost one with the soul he's this was one of the other great ones though in that same uh excerpt like the second excerpt of his fragments he said uh and the incredible thing is that heretics in, inside the church uh, dare to say things that folks outside the church would never dare to say, right? And so it's almost like that old um, that old Latin saying, you probably heard, pessima, right? The corruption of the best becomes the worst. And he, he kind of gives us a, um,
0: I guess you could say, a theological version of that,
1: right? Heretics end up making for the worst uh, philosophers, the worst sociologists, psychologists—you know, you name it—they end up doing a lot of damage. Um, oh, he had this beautiful thing where he's talking about uh, kind of the, the the speaking of Saint Polycarp, and he said his things were in his sayings were in symphony with the holy scriptures at all times. Whatever he said was in symphony with the holy scriptures—beautiful you know, music stuff. Oh, oh no! Here, here's the best one. Here's the best one right here, Steve. So you know we're talking about all the. Crazy stuff is happening in the world, and uh, looking like it's apocalyptic out there. And Saint Irenaeus was convinced, as was Saint Polycarp. You know, their their day seemed a lot like the, the last days as well. But he's got this quote where he says here, "Oh, good God!" And I mean, not as like a kind of like a, a curse or anything. Just right. like, oh, God, you're good. Oh, good God, uh, who has uh, saved me for such times as these, you know, uh, that I might put up with all these things. <laughs> I mean, like he, he saw it as a way, he talks about it a little bit later on, as a way to, of, of uniting himself with, with Christ's cross, right? He's like, do, do I want to get out of carrying the cross? I mean, that would make me not an authentic Christian, right? So basically, thank you, God, for saving me for such difficult times. I could deal with something, you know, even in a minuscule manner uh, akin to what you uh, dealt with.
0: He was so he wasn't one of those. Oh, I wish I was living back in the 1500s, or I wish I was living in the 200s. I'm well, glad uh, I'm living in the here and now. Oh
1: no, no, he's he's thanking God for the ability to, uh, the grace, you could say to be fighting in a in a rough time when right after Marcus Aurelius was there, who you know uh, might have been a, a relatively well known philosopher, but hated the, the Catholics and, and persecuted them mercilessly. You know he's living in those days and, and thanking God for it. You know. And and when you've got uh, not just all kinds of heretics that are pulling thousands of people away from the Catholic Church, the Gnostics, but then you've got you know this really, I mean, kind of like our days where you've got this internal liturgical dispute that I mean is threatening to pull the church apart. I mean, it, it was coming to a head there. Where it was looking like it was going to be this huge split and that lots of folks who uh, were from his native place, more kind of a Greek-speaking area, Smyrna, um, that they were just gonna be kind of cut off from the Catholic communion by the Pope, uh, you know, because some matters liturgical have to be a matter of discipline as well. Uh, but he just, he he steps in the breach, you know, he intercedes and says, please, folks, uh, can we um, can we salvage this so that that, that peace Is preserved and that uh, the word he used actually communion is preserved, right? So, are you trying to
0: tell me that there was a time before our time that it wasn't all sunshine and lollipops in the church? Oh man,
1: oh man. I mean, (laughs) there might have been a few moments of sunshine, like uh, looking back on the days when he got to hear St. Polycarp speak, but. he was in a perpetual battle all his life for, for the souls that were already in the church to try to preserve them in the faith and to try to win souls back to the church that had left the church and then, you know, uh, to evangelize. He's no, he was known in his day as a missionary bishop, you mm-hmm. know. So, um, yeah, I mean, you could say France has always had uh, this, this good string of missionary bishops and, and he might have been, you know, really the authentically
0: the first. Why were these Gnostics so good at pulling us out? I mean, the, the way St. Irenaeus
1: puts it, uh, it it's kind of like St. Uh, Thomas's argument for the danger of uh, the vice of curiosity, right? So it's like, you know, if you're not content with the things the church makes clear to everyone and just says, Here, here's our catechesis, here's our, our doctrine, here's our dogma, come learn it you know come sit at the feet of the church and and learn it soak it up take the time and the effort to, to study it to pray over it to meditate on it um then there's this this sense which curiosity did just kill the cat but it ends up by killing the soul right and so you're you're looking for something extra something more uh that is is not what the church has already said and and you know if you if you go looking for it in all the wrong places which is what a lot of these uh, early followers of the gnostics did then um, it becomes, a, I guess you'd say it's two different things. It, the, the Gnostics knew how to play on our natural propensity after original sin to be curious about things that you know we don't know about, curiosity know both good and evil. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I guess you said the other thing was kind of being part of the, uh, the special group, right? the elect, uh, the uh, elect in a sense, not like the church used it. Um, and, uh, you know, that somehow if you were in, in that group, you wouldn't have to go through what all the other, the hoi polloi, all the other many, many Catholics uh, put up with. And um,
0: so, so part of that might have just
1: been uh, both curiosity and I guess you say humility was the other thing, humility versus pride. I mean, St. Saint Ire- Saint Irenaeus uh, says in several different places, uh, even in his, his more uh, fragmented works and his versus Heresies, that uh, it, it basically all of human uh, salvation history is a matter of the uh, interplay between uh, pride and humility. Right? Are you going to accept the path that God has, has clearly shown you here for your life, or are you going to act like you're better than God and, and you know try down your own path?
0: Um, I remember hearing that's, I remember hearing Augustine line of uh, heretics are zealous while Catholics are lazy. Does Irenaeus talk about the the laity in general in or in that time? Of, how their mindsets were to be easily you know fished out basically. Yeah,
1: he does. Um and and I guess, you know, part of that, yeah, you, you might see some of that zeal uh in his description of you know why folks were were wanting to leave the church in order to pursue these other groups. Um so yeah that's that's a good way of putting it. So maybe the the better way to think of it would be that St. Irenaeus wants to warn folks in his adverses is that uh, zeal can be a good thing you can use zeal and obviously kind of in a natural sense it usually is a good thing if you uh, focus it in the right direction uh if you yeah use it in, in line with with what the church says you should be doing um so he, he's got you know this one line where he talks about um God's providence directing all things God's providential will directing all things right and so as long as you trust in that, then you should be able to uh, submit in your humility and say, whatever is going on right now, both in, in my life and life of the church, like God knows what He's doing here, and I'm just going to keep being, you know, a good Catholic right here where I am, and, and not assume that, uh, you know, just because I'm going through a difficult spot or the church is going through a difficult spot, then you know the church must have fallen away from the truth or I must have fallen away from the truth. Might actually be the opposite, right? You're you're doing good stuff, and that's why uh, that's why, why Satan's, Satan's at, coming coming after you so hard, right? I don't know. Did, did I? Did I? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Right? I'm, I'm, I was just there.
0: thinking, what are some topics in versus heresies that he covers? Well,
1: uh, I'd say the number one thing is he wants to show. Well, there might be a few number ones, but like one of the things is to show the cohesiveness between the old and the new testament. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you still don't have, uh, to a certain extent, an authoritative list of all the books of the Bible, right? He's going to quote from some of the uh, the books obviously, that, that uh, Catholics and, and, and Orthodox have kept the Protestants kicked out. But uh, his big thing is also to show that you know, there's a cohesiveness to, to both Testaments together as part of, uh, as he calls it over and over again, just the, the writings, right? the, the Scriptures, Uh, the things the church reads authoritatively as as what actually happened throughout salvation history. So showing how those two things go together because one of the other uh, big problems with the Gnostics is that they wanted to uh, create kind of, I mean, this this is oversimplifying just a tad, but that they did want to kind of uh, create distinct divinities or or, um, folks who are overseeing what's going on in the Old Testament versus the New Testament, right? In fact, I've got, yeah, yeah, uh, in the Pathologia Graeca, in the mean right? Uh, it, they, they've got this little drawing where uh, it basically takes what St. Irenaeus wrote and shows this, um, and it, this seems to be verified from the Gnostic writings, the kind of interplay between the different divinities or, or kind of, uh, what would you put them? I, I guess creatures underneath uh, the, the, the all-powerful, you know, who, who share—it I mean, sounds more like the Greek and the Roman pantheon than anything hmm. that, that we'd uh, know, know much else of. But just showing how that—that is—that's ridiculous. There'd be too many fighting forces, and who's—who's going to come out on top? The one that's most powerful? Why is the one that was most powerful in the Old Testament not the same one that's most powerful in the New Testament? is you know, so he—he brings up the internal contradictions of those things. But uh, he, he, the, the goal was to show you that the—the the same God who is the author of all salvation history is the author of the old testament and he's the author, the primary author of the New Testament as well, right? And and still working through uh weak men in the New Testament as he was in the Old Testament. You know Moses had his failings others, but in modern
0: day do. would that be that uh, oh the uh, Old Testament God is a different than the New Testament God
1: oh yeah 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 no, that was that was a, a clear uh that was clearly in his aim was to combat that yeah even back in the day. <clears throat>
0: So, like, so Sorenthus was who St. John was right about. It. He was what? Was it Ebionite? That was the spirit the, the fle- that the flesh. That's the whole point of the flesh. It was the flesh was bad. And, and there's all the, the spirit thingies and all this. And there's some kind of weird. I don't know. Anything just. Yeah. Well, you get it. The spirit idea. No flesh. Spirit yeah. bad. <clears throat> matrimony bad. Suicide is good. Things like this. Was this kind of the same Baskin Robbins flavor or different?
1: Uh, I mean, it, with a swirl. Yeah, so a just, swirl? <laughs> yeah. So basically the same flavor, but uh, dressed up a little bit differently. Yeah, uh, and um, that's why. Uh, I, I, I guess, I, like,
0: we, what would the dang, the physical dangers of what they were talking about, like, like these got a lot of these heretics were going. You know, like said, marriage was bad, suicide was a virtue, kind of inverted everything. What were they doing all this inversions as well?
1: Yeah, they were. And that's um I guess that that's probably one of the most important things that St. Irenaeus is is getting across as well. Is that uh the God who who knew to create us as a body-soul composite, and he he talks a lot about you know the, the inner work is the body and the soul. Um, the, the God who knew to create us that way, uh, back in Genesis, you know, uh, two, and then seeing what happened with Genesis three, right? I mean, some sort of eating that uh led to our fall. I mean, some, some sort of cooperation of body and soul was the original sin as well. Uh, even if it was, you know started out more primarily in the interior with the desire to disobey God because you felt like you knew more than God, right? Or wanted to know more than God, be like gods. Uh, so yeah, he sees that as as kind of the uh, a, a line that, that connects all of salvation history, exactly, this this kind of fight between the the, the flesh and the spirit, and just, you know, knowing when uh, the flesh has to submit to the spirit, but not because the flesh is intrinsically evil, right, but because the spirit's supposed to know better, because it, it, it is, a, you know, you've heard from God, and he even talks about that, like, you know, the, the very faculties that we're given in our sense, especially sight and hearing, he talks about a lot, um, to, to, to hear God's message, right, uh, you know, they are supposed to cooperate. You know, we hear God's message, we we think about it, we ponder okay, here's how I have to react, you know, with my body and my soul, kind of the ascent of, of the will, but also doing certain things with your body. You know, God God gave us that. You know? I mean, he, he could communicate to us, obviously, in, in the way that he does the angels so that it's more immediate and it's without the mediation of the senses, but... He knew how he wanted to create us and how he wanted to communicate these things to us. So yeah, I'd say there's certainly uh he's he's fighting a very, very similar fight to the one that St. That John, and even to a certain extent, St. Paul's fighting about uh these uh especially St. Paul, like in the letters to Corinthians and things like that, about um, yeah, try to try to consider the flesh in some way, shape, or form just intrinsically evil, bad, or you know, gonna fill in the blank with a center now.
0: I guess about this. How how successful was he? Because obviously, I don't think Gnosticism ended. Another version probably came up afterwards. But how was he on getting people back, and maybe future arguments by people down down the road were using him? Well, like obviously, like you know Bellarmine. But how successful was he?
1: That's a great question. It seems like uh, given how uh, the the arguments with the Gnostics are not too frequent after him. Uh, It seems reasonable to conclude that he uh, was really, really successful, very successful. Someone wrote out what they believed, showed all the internal contradictions, and because, you know, the the elite of the Roman and Greek society, I mean, the Roman Empire, but a lot of them Greek-speaking, his his work was translated into Latin at a very, very early date, very early. Some people even think maybe by, you know, uh, under his supervision, Um, Because Because the Romans and the Greek were still pretty haughty about, you know, being seen as as irrational or illogical, that that would have been the ultimate insult. You know, like you're you're a wussy or whatever else nowadays. For them, it would have been if you're uh, irrational, right? Especially after Marcus Aurelius, who was the emperor um, kind of in the early days of Cyndernaeus' life. Um, So, yeah, when he lays out uh, how inconsistent they are, it seems like he he struck a blow that was— Kind of the, the final death blow for them, at least at, at that time and in that spot of the, the Roman Empire uh, because there doesn't seem to be a lot of fights with them later on. He, I mean, he's quoted a lot by later fathers, but, he, um, you know, like, a, like Tertullian even, who's not exactly a father, but, you know, pretty important early church writer, quotes him a fair bit. Started um, out really I mean, good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that same kind of... Uh, um Anti-Catholic war on the flesh is what you know ends up driving him out of the church, but um, yeah. So it, it, it seems like he was pretty effective because the fight uh, was was elsewhere for the, for the most part after after he wrote this work, you know, and after he got out there.
0: You mentioned the one website, and obviously, a versus heresies. Uh, are there any other books or websites to go to to learn more about him?
1: Um, so I, I know I checked on this at some point. I know LibriVox has the adversus erases, um, in English, read out loud. I think you can go through almost all of it, like listening to it, even as, as, a, as a free audiobook. There was, let me see here. Uh, there, there I, I would look on uh, New Advent because I know that they were the only the, the same website that has the Summa translated in English and, and the um. Old Catholic Encyclopedia. They had uh, some of his fragments translated into English, which are some, some really really interesting and, and short. You know, yeah, but, but it's interesting to hear what he had to say and uh, his uh, demonstration of the uh, of the faith as well, which is kind of a, an early apologetics book. It's a uh, little bit sh- shorter, so there's some of that on uh, the New Advent website, and I'm pretty sure that *Documenta Cattolica Omnia* has the reference to, uh, you know, the, all the different English translations of his works there. That, that, that's a great site, that documenta católica onia. Uh, it's got uh, basically any important Catholic writer you can find their, their works there, and usually in an English translation as well.
0: I forgot about Jurgens.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly.
0: Um, What would you like to leave people with? Uh, regarding Saint Irenaeus again, we've already gone to why he's important, etc., and the Pope about to make him a doctor in the church. But if you were to tell him, say, you need to study him because of XYZ and learn more about him, uh, what would you like in 40,000 words or less? <laughs> Here's what
1: I'd say so, I mean, clearly, he was really intelligent, he had studied a lot, he had listened a lot to people who were who knew the faith really well. But you can tell that with him, it wasn't just an academic exercise, you know. It wasn't just so he could learn more, so he could refute somebody and, you know, like, hey, I, I came out on top in this this argument. You could tell that he meditated and, and reached, you know, high-level contemplation because he he sees things, and, and all you have to do is read the verses of Pharisees, read a few of his little excerpts here on, on uh, New Adam and New Eve, for instance, would be a great spot to focus on and that he sees things in the the plain text of sacred scripture that you know only come through some serious meditation you know looking at sacred scripture being quiet over it for a while and just meditating on it i mean doing what all the great saints have done for two years just letting god speak to you through um the Sacred Scripture scriptures, but, you know, as always, since he's a good Catholic doctor in union with the church, you know, what what has St. Polycarp, well, especially think about it, that line from St. John to St. Polycarp to St. Irenaeus, of course he's going to see these connections that influence Our Lady and her key role uh, with part, that, that heel crushing Satan's head, because he talks a lot about uh, Genesis 3 and what goes on there. So, you know, listening to what the church has said through these uh, authoritative teachers like St. John and St. Polycarp, Allowed him to see things that you know were just were, were crucial for the spiritual life. The importance of the Blessed Virgin Mary for the spiritual life, for instance, you know, and and the effects of original sin on our our tendency to pride and curiosity, right I mean, there. That, and that's something that Saint Thomas Aquinas is going to really make the backbone of his theology. Is 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 making sure we get get pride and curiosity out, and let's let's have studiosity and humility. You know, that's how we'll make progress in theology. So simple, so, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, so simple and, and yet the most difficult thing in the world to, to see through to completion. You know? yeah.
0: Almost like, nah, it's too too hard. We got to do There's something else got to be involved here.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, that, it's that daily grind. It's like getting the gym or, or you know, uh, playing a sport, just going over the same fundamentals day in and day out. And it, it could seem boring to the outsider, but, you know, like if, if you want to make progress, that's what you're going to do. And so spiritual life uh, seems to have that same sort of. Stick to it, and you know, if you stick with it, and you keep doing this. Repetition is going to be the mother of your studies and the mother yeah, of I was just
0: about to say that repetition mater studiorum. <laughs> <But> that's <laughs> it. Jonathan, appreciate it. Thank you very much. And um, who's the next one you want to go over? Oh,
1: um, let, let me let me pray about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's there so many good ones out there. I Have to think about you know who, who fits well. Maybe uh, segueing in from. Uh,
0: the time it Same is. Day. I mean, like I said, this. Uh, Jonathan hit me up, texted me up, hey, let's do Irenaeus uh, this week. Uh, okay, sure. <laughs> All right, well, Jonathan, fun. appreciate it as always, and yeah, talk soon. All right, God bless you. Thank you.